Revelation chapter number 2, and we're on the next church here tonight. We've looked at the church at Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, and tonight the church in Thyatira. And we've looked at each one of these churches, and um, we looked at the church at Ephesus, a good church, but a church that had left their first love and really forgot why they did what they would do. We looked at the church at Smyrna, and the church at Smyrna went through a lot of suffering. And the Lord doesn't really get after them or correct them. He encourages them and the suffering that they went through. Last week, we looked at the church at Pergamos. Really, we see a compromising church. And then tonight, we look at the church at Thyatira, and really, this church on the outside looks really good. And in all reality, when we look at the beginning here tonight and we talk about this church, we would look and we would say, we would want Victory Baptist Church to be like Thyatira when you look at the outside. But then when you know what was going on in the inside, no. I'll tell you already, we do not want, I don't want, I know God doesn't want in this place, this church to be like the church of Thyatira. Because they look good, but on the inside they were corrupt. And what's on the inside is bound to come out. And we'll talk about that, and we'll see how it even mentions the fact, and we'll talk about tonight, but how this church, you look at it, they look good on the outside, but on the inside they were corrupt. It was going to affect the kids that grew up there, and that next generation that was going to come up, and there's a lot I can say about that, and we'll look at that tonight. Revelation 2, verse 18 through 29, we'll finish up the chapter tonight. It says, And the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like as a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Do you notice how as we go through each one of these churches, the Lord identifies himself in a different way to each one of these churches? Like you look last week, it said, These saith he which hath the, two, or the sharp sword with two edges. This week we see it says, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I'll explain that in a little bit tonight. Listen to what the Lord says about this church. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. Now, didn't he already say their works once? But he says it again. And the last to be more than the first. We'll talk about what that all means in a few minutes. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornications and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But I say unto you, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which I have already hold fast till I come, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. 
As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. As we look at this passage, and there's quite a bit to look at here and to study, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we study this out, that we could apply it to our lives and our hearts, and that you would meet with us and minister to us and help us tonight as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The city of Thyatira is a city that not as much is known about it as some of the other cities that we've mentioned, like the city of Ephesus or even the city of Smyrna or Pergamos. In all reality, the city of Thyatira is the smallest of all the seven cities where these churches were. And uh, they believe, and people believe, that Thyatira was founded under Alexander the Great about 300 years before Jesus was even born. So this was an older city. The name Thyatira literally means unceasing sacrifice. That's what the name means. And trying to figure out, people have different thoughts why it was named Thyatira and the unceasing sacrifice. But in all reality, it was a military buffer city. And what I mean by that, from Pergamos, it was about 40 miles southeast. And uh, Pergamos was the capital of the providence there. And so when enemies would invade, they would always go through Thyatira before they would get to Pergamos. So in all reality, any time there's any military things going on, Thyatira was always the place that was sacrificed first. And that's where they think the name comes from. Um, It was famous for its commerce in that day. It was a main trade route, and you would think it would be. It was one of the ways to the capital there, or the, you know, the the capital city of the providence there. Um, When we think of Thyatira, it was known for some of its fabrics and things like that. And you can think of, um, um, there was a dye that they got from there. And there was a lady that is mentioned. And do you remember her name, Lydia? And she was a seller of what? Of purple? That dye, and she was of what city? The city of Thyatira. That's where she came from. And so, and you got there in your notes, Acts 16, verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. Thyatira was also known for its trade guilds, and they were basically unions back in the day. They had them for different different, um, businesses and different things that would go on. Just like all the other cities that we mentioned, there was big-time pagan worship that would go on. There was a temple in the city named for, for, for fortune-telling. And uh, there's a lot more that we go down that road. The church there in Thyatira, who started it, when it started, who knows for sure? In the Bible, the first mention you have, really, of the city of Thyatira was this lady from there. Legend would tell us that she went back to help start the church there. Is that how it happened? I don't know. I'm just telling you what I was told and things like that and what I've read. But what we know is this city, Thyatira, had a church. There was a group of Bible-believing Christians that came together, and they were a church. That's what a church is. It's a called-out assembly. It's people. Just like Sunday night, we were at the park. 
it was just as much church at the park as it is being in the, here in the building tonight. Because the building doesn't make a church. The building makes it nicer for church. Like it might be a little cold being outside tonight, right? It's a little nicer, and I just had to turn the air up a degree or two because the building's getting used to summer temperatures, and it's not summer in here yet. So, and that's good. We'll save on the electricity a little bit. But this church was a church that looked really good. But this church had major problems. I want you to realize tonight that every church has problems. They do. If you think you're going to find a, a perfect church, once you join it, it's no longer perfect. And everyone else there isn't perfect. There is no perfect church. And I know sometimes people look and they start going, oh, that church is so wonderful. Then they go for a little bit and they're like, oh. And I love that, I love that old saying, you know, people will say, well, the grass always looks greener on the other side. I like, the, I like how people have said, well, just water your grass then. Because that's what you should do. And as we look here tonight, it's interesting that Jesus comes to this church differently than he did at the other churches. You notice, look back at chapter number 2 and look at verse 1. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Verse 8. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. You see how, like, the church of Smyrna there, they were going through really bad persecution. And we see Jesus says to them there, hey, I'm he, I was dead, now I'm alive. He's saying, I've been where you've been. I know what you're going through. We saw last week that those people in Pergamos needed words from God. So he comes to them with a sharp, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, giving them the word of God. What does the church at Thyatira need? Well, we see, look at what it says here. It says, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like as a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. When we think about those things, he represents himself in three ways. The first one, number one, is the saving one. He's the Son of God. He reminds these people that he's the Savior and that he is the only one to be worshipped. In a little bit, we're going to talk about Jezebel. Why does he, was Jezebel the Old Testament literally, was her name Jezebel? I don't think so. Her actions, what took place, is what Jezebel did. Just like we read about Balaam, right? And, that, and what Balaam did and how that came in. Well, we're going to look at this. And what you got to understand is what Jezebel did in Israel is she brought her pagan gods in. And as we look here at this church here, they have some issues. And as Jesus comes to them, he's letting them know, hey, I am the Son of God. I'm the only one who should be worshipped. Secondly, we see that he's the searching one. Eyes like as a flame of fire, which means he's the one who sees all things. And though they look good on the outside, Jesus saw what was truly going on. And may I just remind you tonight, you can hide your sin from me, you can hide your sin from everyone else around you. You cannot hide your sin from God. He sees it all, he knows it all, and we see that he has eyes like a flame of fire. And then thirdly, we see that he's the sovereign one. Feet like fine brass. Brass or bronze in the Bible is symbolic of judgment in the Bible. And Jesus is the one who sees all, and he's the one who will judge all. 
So it's, in, so it's very, you can just see it right away. Why does Jesus say that he's the son of God and that his eyes are like flames of fire and his feet like fine brass? He lets them know he is God. He knows what they're doing and he will judge them for what they're doing. It's literally what he's doing here. With that in mind, and as we look at this passage tonight, and as we go a little deeper, as we talk about this church that the outside looked good, but the inside's corrupt, as we look at this, I want to start out number one tonight by going to our outline, Jesus commends the service of this church. As I mentioned, Jesus does this often, and you see this here especially. Do you see how before Jesus goes to correct something, he commends something? I'm just going to give you a quick thought. As you go through life, be it with your kids, be it with uh, someone who's under you at work, whatever the case may be, it's good to follow this example. Commend the person for something good they do. Then correct the problem. I think that's a great way to handle people and issues that come along. It does a lot of good that way. And so as we look here, and so some of you are like, that's why you were nice to me, Pastor. You were nice, and then you're getting ready to lower the boom on me. Maybe, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, so we look that Jesus commends the service of this church. Look there at verse 19. He says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. As we look at this tonight, we see first of all, letter A, that he commends their service. He commends their service. This was an active church. They were busy doing the work. They were working. They were doing their job around there. You see the word works there. I know thy works. That means deeds. It means they were busy. They were busy serving, doing the work of God. Jesus said, I know your works. He commends them for their service. And, uh, when, and not only that, we see, look at what it says there. I know thy works and charity. And then the word and service. The word service there means ministry. Literally that word service there is the same word used for a deacon and the servant. We see that. And you got to understand, and it literally has the idea, the meaning of the word there. As we look at that word service, it means those who kick up dust. You're busy working and serving. He commends their service. And he says, you're busy doing the work. You're burdened. You're ministering to my people. Letter B, we see that he commends their motive. This is important as well. And may I just remind you, motive does matter. You know that? Your motive matters. You know, someday at the judgment seat of Christ, all of our works are going to be tried by fire. And you know why they're going to be tried by fire? To see what the motive was behind it. If you serve God to get man to be happy with you and to praise you, those works are going to burn up quick. And some people are motivated to serve God out of fear. I don't understand that one. That's not a good motive. As we look at this church here, we see what, why did they serve? Why did they work? Why did they do these things? We see, first of all, here, number one, that they were motivated by love, charity. Look at what it says there. It says, I know thy works and charity. The word charity 
love, the word agape comes from here. It's an unconditional, unceasing love that knows no boundaries. It's the love that Christ has for us. It's not a love that we can get without the Lord's help. This is not something we don't love unconditionally. That's what God does. Now, when we think about this, this should be the motive behind everything that we do, right? Am I wrong on that statement? Our works, how what we do should be motivated by love, right? Oh, I got one. That's good. Even if you don't agree with it, it's true. It doesn't matter if you agree or not. It's still right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know this chapter well. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, and if I don't have charity, if I don't have love, if love's not behind it, I'm nothing. I could give all my goods to feed the poor, I get my body to be burned, and if I don't do it with love, it profits me nothing. Love should be the source behind and the motivator behind all that we do for God. Isn't that what Paul said? 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge if one died for all, then we're all dead. And may I just remind you tonight and help you tonight, our love for God should motivate us to serve God. Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to church? It should be because you love God. And after all, he's done for you. Why do you serve? Why do you sing in church? Why do you usher? Why do you watch kids during lunch? Why do you teach in a Christian school? Why do you teach on a Sunday night? Why do you preach on a Wednesday night? Whatever the case is, the motivation behind what we do should be our love for Jesus Christ. And the problem is when we don't do it out of our love for Jesus Christ, it's when we lose our first love, right? Because there was a church that was busy doing the work, but they weren't doing it out of love. This church, interesting enough, they were busy. They were serving. They did it because they loved the Lord, the charity that they had. Not only were they motivated by charity, but number two, they were motivated by their faith. That's what it says right here. It says there, it says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith. The Lord says, I see, and that word there for faith, it refers to faithfulness. These folks were faithful and getting the job done. Too many times there's work that needs to be done around the house of God that nobody wants to do. And you know, the Lord's just looking for someone who will faithfully do their thing. You know, it's, it's hard in church work to find people who are just faithful to do their job. Say, so what do you mean? It's hard to get ushers at times to be faithful. It's hard to get nursery workers to be faithful. It's hard to get teachers to be faithful. It's hard to get choir members to be faithful. It's hard to get members to be faithful. After how faithful God is to us and all he's done for us, we should be motivated to love him and to be faithful to him. 
because he's faithful to us. And this church, they were doing the work and they loved. They were faithful in ministry and they were faithful at doing it. And then letter C, we see that he commends their growth. You say, well, what? I'm not talking about spiritual growth right here. But do you notice how it says at the end there? It says, I know thy works, thy charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works. And the last to be more than the first. So what's that saying? Their level of works grew, right? Because the later works were better than the first works, right? So he commends them on that. So I'm not talking about technically spiritual growth here because we're going to look at this church in just a little bit tonight and see where they were really at. But as we look at this church and we look at what Jesus says about, that, about them to this point, this should be true in our church, shouldn't it? We should be busy serving God and serving others and busy doing the work of God and motivated by our love for the Lord and being faithful to him and growing in our service for him, correct? So to this point, we would do good to follow the example of the church at Thyatira to this point. And we see a lot of great things going on. They were active in the work of God. Let me ask you tonight, are you active in the work of God? I met with someone this afternoon. We had some time together, a pastor friend of mine here in the city. And we were talking for just a little bit of time. And he started, ask, he started asking me about how busy I am. And I said, I'm not busy. Not at all. I'm never busy. So he wanted to know what I do with my schedule and things like that. We were just talking. And so we talked about preaching twice on a Sunday and preaching Sunday night. And his church doesn't have a Sunday night, and he doesn't have a Wednesday night, so he doesn't have those things. And then we got talking about how I spend my Tuesday evenings at the rescue mission. And I'm there from leave my house, Juan, we left at 4 yesterday and got home at 19 last night. If it wasn't for that fast driving of whoever drove us, it probably would have taken longer. But there at the rescue mission on Tuesday nights, there was a Bible study at the PD yesterday morning that I was a part of. Um... Got church tonight, had prayer meeting today, had Christian school chapel today, helped my mom out yesterday and today. Um, tomorrow I've got to go back to the dentist and get the stitches out of my teeth. Yeah, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? I told the dentist, why didn't you put the ones that dissolve? That would have been easier, right? He's like, they need to last there longer. Okay, so if they hurt tomorrow, I don't know. But anyways... And then uh, we got graduation to get ready for. Someone's got to print all the report cards and take care of all that stuff. And so we just went through, and he's like, you are too busy. You need to slow down. That's what he said. We have one life to live to serve God. Give God your best. And there are times you need to slow down. I get that. But I, I try to lead by example in this church, and it would do a lot more of us good to be busy doing God's work. And I would encourage you to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, it would do us all good to serve God, and you're not going to regret it. And uh, the, guy, the guy asked me, he's like, so does your family feel like you're neglecting them? Ask my wife and no, I'm there. Was I up till 
2.30 last night working on tonight's sermon. Yeah. Did not get much sleep. Yeah. But it gets done. It would do us all good. And the thing is, the more of us that would get involved in the work of the ministry here, there would be things that I wouldn't have to do that we could all join in and share in together. And so there's more I could say down that line, but I'm going to leave that there. But we need to, God didn't save us to be lazy Christians. We can be lazy in heaven. Do you realize that? We can be lazy in heaven. And so, Juan, was, it was you that told me that a couple weeks ago, because Juan, you should see him sometimes. Like tonight, he's just about asleep. That's why I'm talking to you right now. Because I see he's literally, the eyes are glazed over like those donuts over there. They're glazed over, and he's about to be asleep. But he works all day. What time do you start your day this morning? 5.30 this morning. And he's an old man. He's at least, I'm just kidding, he's at least 52. And so, but last night, he was at the rescue mission today. And a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, you can take the night off if you want. He was sick a few days before that. He's like, no, my wife would have me work at home. I'd rather go to the rescue mission, so I don't have to work at home. Wasn't it some, oh, sorry, I wasn't supposed to share that story, was I? Oh, sorry. Sometimes I forget what stories I'm allowed to share. And what, he, didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said something else, but I'm not talking about what he really said. But he's like, I said, you can rest. Just get some rest. He's like, I'll rest when I get to heaven. That's a good attitude, but have balance with all that too. And I shouldn't speak about balance in that area, but I just did. So we'll just leave that there. But we see that Jesus, he commends them for their service. But number two tonight, we see he deals with the sin in the church. And man, I was just talking last night on on our ride to the rescue mission. We were talking about sin in the church. We had Johnny with us and things. We're talking about how you deal with sin, how you deal with these different things. One of the big problems we have in churches today, and Baptist churches are very good at this, we don't deal with the sin, we cover it up. And you cannot cover it up with the Lord. He knows it, and it will be exposed. You hide your sin, you will not prosper. I think that's what the Bible says, and that what the Bible says. Sin needs to be dealt with. And then, but you, there's a fine line, too, in churches. You have, this is what you have in churches today. You have the churches that don't deal with sin. And then you have the churches that deal with sin too much and bring peop, everybody up to the front of the church for church discipline every other minute because of things that they do. Is a church discipline thing, is that a biblical thing? Yes. Is it overused by some? Yes. Is it not used enough by some? Yes. There's a fine line with it all. And I, we are talking in the car. I'm just going to give you this quick thought when it comes to dealing with sin in a church. The first thing that should happen, Matthew 18, you go to the person that's sinning and you confront them with what's going on. How they respond and what they do depends on what happens next. If they repent, and you can repent because you've been caught and go right back to doing the same thing and you didn't really repent and get right. But if things don't change, you take someone else with you and you approach that person and try to help them. And then if that doesn't work, you bring it to the church. That's what Matthew 18 teaches. In 1 Corinthians, there was a guy that was sleeping with his stepmom. And the church knew about it and did nothing about it. And God wasn't happy with them. And God had them treat that man like he was an unbeliever. 
and kick him out. And then in 2 Corinthians, he repents and comes back, and they weren't letting him back in. And so there is a fine line with all of that. But I will say this, we must do a better job in our churches of dealing with sin. I get it, we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have our issues. Not one of us in this room is perfect. Not one of us is blameless. We all have issues. But as we look here, we see Jesus goes from commending this church, he goes now to dealing with their sin. What is their sin? Look with me at verse number 20. It says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins of the heart, and I will give unto every one of you according to their works. As we look at this, we see that Jesus deals with their sin. First of all, letter A, we see that he confronts a teacher in this church. There's someone in leadership in this church here. And as we look here, it looks like this church is doing pretty good from what we've looked at to this point. They're busy working, busy serving, and they're doing it with good motives. But we see that Jesus now is dealing with what's wrong with us. On the outside, they look good. But on the inside, it's corrupt. As we look here, we see that he confronts a teacher in this church. The church in Thyatira there was being led away from God by a teacher in this church. And it was a woman in this church. She was teaching here. And Jesus exposes her, her teaching, and the judgment that she would face because of this. Now, if you notice with me, this woman is called Jezebel here. Now, Jezebel is not a name that we use in good terms really today, right? I hope no one would name their daughter Jezebel today. That's not a nice thing to do. And, uh, and don't do it. That's not a good thing to do. She's called here in this passage, I don't believe her name was literally Jezebel. I think her actions represented one of the most infamous women in all the Bible. When we talk about Jezebel, she was the wife of King Ahab. We could go back to the Old Testament in 1 Kings, and you could read about her. And uh, 1 Kings 16.31, it says, And it came to pass, and, uh, as if it had been a light thing, from to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he, this is Ahab, took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So when she's the daughter of Beth Baal, Baal, do you see that? You see that name and they serve Baal? There's a connection there. And she was not a God-fearing, the God of heaven-fearing woman. She served a different God. 
And do you notice, I, I love how that verse says it came to pass, if it had been a light thing, it's not a light thing to do wrong. It's not a big deal. How many times have you heard that? And how many times have you not only heard that, how many times have you said that? It's not a big deal for me. It was as of a light thing for him to walk after the sins of Jeroboam. They took a wife he shouldn't have. And he served Baal, not the God of heaven. When we talk about Jezebel, the name Jezebel, her name literally means chaste. But she was not really anything that followed that name. She was the daughter of a Gentile king. She worshipped Baal. And think about this. She kept some 850 prophets of Baal and brought them in with her to Israel. This is how this woman was. Um, you might remember how her husband wanted a vineyard real bad. And then he went and asked for the vineyard from Naboth. And King Ahab couldn't have it. And poor King Ahab came back sad. And King Ahab had, had a little pity party for himself. I want that and I can't have it. And Jezebel reminded him, you're the king. You can have whatever you want. And she had the guy killed. Jezebel, over and over again, tried to kill Elijah hated the prophet of God. She was not a good woman. She mixed pagan, ungodly, wicked worship with God's people. We don't know exactly what this woman in the church in Thyatira was doing. We know what she was called, Jezebel. So what that inclines us, and the way Jezebel, her life ended was, she ended up getting pushed out a window, falls, chariot runs over her, and the dogs come and eat up what's left of her, just like the prophet prophesied would happen. And she got what she had coming. Jezebel came to be identified with wickedness and idol worship. So as we look you say, well, what exactly was going on? And when we think about that, my, like, put there number one underneath this. What was she teaching? What was she teaching? Verse 20 tells us that she called, you know, which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. What we see here is, and you could read commentary after commentary and all these commentaries are going to tell you this is what I think she was getting them to do. It doesn't say exactly. It gives you some idea what was taking place. And we, we look at these things, you see the fact, what do we know? She called herself a prophetess and she was teaching and seducing the saved people in this church. I don't think she was saved. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. She was an unsaved person teaching in this church. There's a big problem right there. And that's, sometimes people are like, why are you so picky about who teaches and preaches in the church? Because I am. You can, you can nitpick me on lots of different things, but you, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, you will not pick who preaches behind this pulpit. 
Sorry, tough luck, you will not. And if you don't like it, you can lump that one and deal with it because I'll answer to God for who preaches behind here, and there's a reason why. Because we're not going to have something like this happen. This woman wasn't even saved, and she's teaching in the church. And as we look at this, we see that she was seducing. She was leading God's people astray, leading them to do different things. And as we look at this, we see number two, we see the fact that she was given a chance to repent. Isn't that just like the Lord? Man, if, it, if I were God and this woman is in my church and she's doing this, trying to lead my people out, I would just call down fire from heaven and take her out. The Lord gave her a chance. Isn't that just amazing to think about with God? Just think on that. For Aren't you glad that God gives chances? I am. He gave her a chance. Look at there in verse 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. He gave her a chance to turn from what she was doing and to stop doing it. And in all reality, we could look and we could go, if we go back for a second, I kind of skipped ahead in my notes there. The word seduced there means to lead out of the right path. She was taking God's people. And I, something that's very important, doctrine, I've heard this a long time ago and I believe it's very true. Doctrine determines your direction. And this woman was seducing she was leading them from the right path to a different path. And the word fornication is the word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography, any sexual sin. That's literally where it comes from. And regardless of what you want to say was taking place, verse 24 tells us that the, it was, God called it the depths of Satan. It was bad. And in all reality... We see it mixing into churches all the time today. This pagan worship and this really, and there's so much more I could say there, but we're going to move on. We see that she was given a chance to repent. The Lord gave her time, but she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to repent. And we see, number three, that her judgment was going to come. Because of what she'd done, look with me at verse 22 and 23. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to his works. We see that her judgment was coming. We see that her and her followers would face the wrath of God. That's why they're not saved. That's what this tells me here. Because that phrase there says, cast her into great tribulation, cast her into judgment. And if they refused and if they didn't repent, what does it say? That they were going to be judged according to their works. That's how I know they weren't saved. Because when someone's not saved and they stand before the great white throne of God, they're going to be judged by their works. So we see here that this woman and her followers were not saved. In this church, that's a big deal. And that's why you've got to understand something. A church is to be a called out assembly of believers. 
It's what a church is. Now, there are those that are going to play the part that aren't saved, and that happens. But I don't think this woman is really playing any part. This church knew what was go- saw what's going on, and we see this here, and we see the fact, do you notice there in verse 23, that it says, and I will kill her children with death? Do you see the young people are the ones who suffer the most when a church lets the garbage and the stuff that shouldn't come into a church in? Because do you realize someday, you and I, I don't consider myself old yet, but I'm getting older. It's happening. Some of you are a lot older than I am. But if we don't hold this church to a true, keep truth here, and not let corrupt things in, our children won't have this church someday. What type of a church are we leaving our children? Or we go a step further, our children's children. That's why it's important to keep a church right. Her judgment's going to come. We see that. We see he confronts a teacher in this church. Let her be. We see he confronts the tolerance of this church. Isn't that a word we use a lot today? That's a word that's used a lot. Look at verse 20 there. It says, Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Do you see that word sufferest? It means to tolerate, to permit, to allow. Jesus was unhappy with this church because they allowed this woman in a position of leadership and they tolerated the lies and the garbage she was spewing out. That's what it says. Am I wrong on that? I don't think so. God's displeased when we tolerate things that this book says we should not tolerate. We live in a world today we don't like talking about this. No one likes talking about a lot of the things going on today in our world. Families don't like bringing it up because of the differences that families have on things. I was with a group of people a few days ago, and Target got brought up. And there were a couple people that were not happy that some people wouldn't shop at Target. Say, well, and someone, someone asked me yesterday, what's, what's your opinion on... Uh, on boycotting shopping places, you do whatever God lays on your heart to do. I will tell you this. I've been a part of churches, and I know churches where they tell you not to shop and go places. Let me just remind you of something. Let me remind you of something. I'm not your Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to play your Holy Spirit. If God convicts you about not doing something or going to a certain store and shopping there, do what he tells you to do. But I would also tell you that if you're going to do it, you need to make sure that you do things, that you do it. I'll just give you an example. You might right now not be happy with Target and not go shop at Target, but you'll drink a Starbucks coffee. There's not much difference there. It's not much different. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to tell you not to do one and not do the other, but we are very imbalanced on things. 
And did you know I was in Walmart just the other day? And Walmart also has a section like Target. Maybe not the same degree, but it's very close. Going to, I was in Sam's Club the other day. They have a whole little section of pride shirts and things of that nature to buy. Now, I get, and I think it's awesome that Target lost $10 billion in one week. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome, and I hope they learn. And I'm glad the Budweiser lost some money. Is it Bud, Bud Light, Budweiser, whatever one of those? I'm sure, I wish, I'm sure other, other ones got more money, you know. It's not like those people just quit drinking. They just went to a different brand instead. And so, I, anyways, but we cannot tolerate sin. We got to, and this is, we got to teach our children these things. Do you realize what our world wants today? Our world wants us to tolerate everything. Yet, they can't tolerate us. I'm not a Dodgers fan, and I never would be, and so I understand why they do things that they do, because that's something that a Dodger fan would do. No, I'm just kidding. But um, they're having these, they're having this group in on their pride night that um, literally blasphemes Jesus. And then did you notice that three weeks later they're having a God night to try to make up for it? We, how can I word what I'm going to say here without, let's see how I'm going to word this. I told myself I wasn't going to go off on this tolerance thing, but if someone, if we don't, do you realize all that they push at our children? And they ha, there's an agenda out there. There is an open agenda out there. That agenda is there. We should love people and get them the gospel. But loving the way God would have us love doesn't tolerate the sin. Jesus had a woman taken in the very act of adultery. And I'll just help you out as well tonight. Hey, if, if, if it's not tolerance with all the stuff this world wants, it, we, we lo- we'll talk about that in church because we don't deal with a lot of those issues. But fornication, adultery, lasciviousness, all that's wicked too. And it's just as wrong as anything else that's mentioned today in our world. Christians are very good at bringing up certain things and leaving out other sins because we don't want to talk about our own sin. But as we look at it, Jesus saw the woman taken in adultery. What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. He, he could have thrown the first stone. He loved her enough to speak the truth to her and not tolerate the life that she was living. There's power in that. There's a lot more I could say. We don't need, we need to stand up for Jesus Christ. And the longer we're quiet, the longer, and they're going to let, it's going to get to where before too long it's going to be hate speech to even say what I've said tonight. It's going to get to that point. But the Bible's right. I'm not hating anybody. Actually, let's be honest. I do hate. I hate the devil. I hate him. I hate all of his demons. I hate anything that has to do with... I hate him. I do. So I do hate somebody. There you go. I hate Satan. I hate what he's doing in this world. But my battle is not with people. 
It's a spiritual, deep, dark battle. And as our society casts God out, which we've done, it's only going to get worse. But this church knew what this woman was teaching, and they allowed it to go on. And Jesus wasn't happy with it. They tolerated it. Let her see, where am I at? We need to get done here. We also see the fact that he was going to use this church as an example. You see what it says there in verse 23? And all the churches shall know that I... He's like, you're going to be an example. And how this gets handled, what takes place, I'm, it's, you're, you're going to be an example. Something that's interesting to note is that as he closes out his letter to the church at Thyatira, we see that um, he now... Jesus, number three, he kind of comforts the saints in this church and encourages them a little bit, which is interesting to me. Do you realize not everyone in this church in Thyatira walked away from God? Even in that tolerant, compromising, sinful church, there were still a remnant that remained. And may I say, I believe that that's always the case Remember, there was it was Elijah or Elisha. It was one of those two. I'm the only one. It was Elijah, wasn't it? I'm the only one. No, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee yet. You're not the only one. There are more out there, okay? But Jesus looks to this church, and look at what he tells them. Look at verse 24. He says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine... And have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. I will put upon you none other burden. You see, as we look here, look at verse 25. But that which ye have already hold fast till I come. What he tells them here is, literally what he says is, stay the course. Stay faithful till I come. I see you in the midst of this. I know what's going on in your church. I'm not happy, and I'm very upset by what's been tolerated in this church. But there's some of you that don't know what all was going on. And there's some of you that the saved people in this church just keep doing right. Keep living for me. Hold fast till I come. Stay the course. Stand. Don't give up. Stand. And look at verse 26. He that overcometh and keepeth my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And he tells them if they remain faithful, if they stay with the Lord, that someday they will, be, they will rule with him. What that's telling me kind of there is these people didn't have much of a say what was going on in this church. And the Lord's like, you stay faithful to me and someday you're going to rule and reign with me. Now, are you, now, oh, so Jesus is saying if you stay faithful, that's the only way. No, because there's, there's a, a works-based salvation again. That's not what it's saying. But they, if they stayed faithful, just keep staying with it. Don't give up on it. You're going to make it. You're going to be all right. That's what he's telling them. And then we see he tells them it's interesting. Look at verse number. This verse is very interesting. And I will give him the morning star. Now, 
you want to talk about one of the most controversial verses in the Bible with people, it's that verse right there. You're like, why? And I'll give you the morning star. There are two different groups that go two different ways with this one. And I'm going to give you my thoughts. I'm going to give you the two different thoughts, and I'm going to give you my thought, and then we're going to be done tonight. That's very simple. He says he'll give them the morning star. There's those out there in a lot of commentaries that say the morning star is talking about the bright and morning star that Jesus is going to give himself to these people. Is that possible? Definitely so. The other part of this is the name Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14 literally means morning star. So others say that this means that Jesus is going to let them see Satan get cast into hell. Now, I had some people at church last week because I said that Lucifer means morning, that, the, that means morning star. I had some people really get after me saying that I was comparing Jesus to and Lucifer to the same person. Jesus is the bright and morning star. There's a difference between the bright and morning star and the name morning star. And if you want to get real technical, and I don't want to get technical with you. I, I, I preach and I love King James Bible here. The word, I wouldn't have used the word Lucifer in Isaiah 14. It's a Latin word in a Hebrew text. It's, and you say, well, I, I just wouldn't have, okay? But I, I'm not that smart. I, couldn't have, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have touched anything. I, will, I would never be someone to translate a Bible. Never want anything to do with any of it. I don't want to take, take away, add, I want no part of it. So those that want to mess, they can do that and they can answer to God. I'm not going to do that. But technically using the word Lucifer there, it's not a good spot because it's a Latin word in a Hebrew text. And I'm not the biggest language guy, but I know that Latin and Hebrew are different. And so, but it does mean morning star, but may I just help you? Jesus is the bright morning star. So you say, so pastor, out of all the commentaries you've read and all these things, do you think that that's talking about that Jesus is going to give him himself or they're going to see when Satan falls? One of those or maybe both of those. That's my answer. All right, let's have a word of prayer.